Good morning. If you all could make your way back to your seats now, we're going to get started. And, um, you know, about that announcement by Gary. You know, I, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, away with my wife celebrating our 32nd anniversary and grateful for marriage. What a wonderful gift that is. What a wonderful gift she is to me. But, you know, Gary was, I, said, I left the men's retreat announcement in Gary's hands. And um, for those of you who weren't here, you know, he acted like he didn't know I was going to be here. And he interviewed himself. And my mother was here uh, staying with my son. And so she came up to him afterwards and said, I'm so sorry, Kenneth didn't let you know he was going to be here. <laughs> my poor mother, you did that too, Gary. But I knew he was going to do a great job, and um, thank you, Gary. Thanks for all you do. He's been helping us get ready for the men's retreat. It's going to be a great time. I hope you'll sign up and come out. If you're looking, um, if you could look at your Bibles now, or Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we're going to be making this turn that Mark was talking about, all this great teaching on the gospel into some practical teaching. And the Apostle Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right, Lord, we pray. Lord, just help us to receive and to be changed from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, God has saved us for a purpose, uh, to live in a particular way as his people. And um, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but what motivates you to live the Christian life? What motivates you to, when you get up in the morning to live for God, to give your life to God, to want to honor him with what you do, what you look at, what you say? What does it mean to please God, and how do we do this? How on a daily basis can we remember that we're God's children, made in his image, different, and that God has saved us so that we might live for him? How do we live in the good of all the gospel truths? I mean, Romans 1 to 11, it's been quite a survey, hasn't it? How do we live in all the good of all those gospel truths? Uh, you know, if you're a Christian and, and you have children, you know, you want, your ch- you want your children to know and follow and live in the good of the gospel, don't you? The Apostle John writes, I have no greater joy than to know my children are walking in the truth. But you also know that you can't, force your children to take it in, to believe, and to live it out. They need instruction, and they need to respond, right? That's what they need. Each person has to take the truth in and respond to it themselves and be motivated by the gospel to have the Spirit of God at work in them, and they need to respond to that. They need to know the truth. You can teach, you can encourage, but each person must receive the gospel and own it. Now, Paul wants us to know God 
He wants us to live for God. He wants us to love God. And today, he's encouraging us to know and live in response to the gospel. Right here in chapter 12, he turns a corner. Note the therefore in the opening sentence. The exhortation here is built on the preceding chapter. He opens with an appeal to the Roman Christians to do something based on the mercies of God. He writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. You can, uh, look up, you can put that on the screen there, Andrew. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Look how the New American Standard translates this. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice. The NIV has a little different nuance to it. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. You get the sense of it now. Paul is making an urgent appeal. He's making an appeal on behalf of God. It's not like he's just, just making a suggestion. This is a strong exhortation, but it's not a command. It's an exhortation. And Paul uses this exhortation frequently when he's writing to Christians and he's telling them something that's really, really important. But he doesn't want them to be responding just out of legalism. In Ephesians 4.1, he says, I urge you, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. The same kind of idea that we're talking about here. Live in a manner worthy. He uses it when he's urging Christians to pray. He's going to use it in Romans 15. He uses it when he's urging Christians not to be divided in the church. These are important things that he wants them to respond to from their hearts. So he appeals by the mercy of God. Mercies of God. And I like how the NIV translates it because it says, in view of God's mercy. And I think this really gets at what Paul is after here. He's, he's thinking about all the stuff that we've learned in chapters 1 through 11 from when he started with the gospel is the power of God of salvation. And brothers and sisters, there is a right way to respond to the gospel. There's an appropriate way. Another way of saying it, living the Christian life begins with remembering the gospel and allowing the gospel to fill our horizons, to affect our hearts, to motivate our actions. God cares about what motivates us. He really does. And he wants us to know and respond to him from a heart that's been affected by what he's done for us and transformed by what he's done for us. So with the gospel in view, with chapters 1 to 11 in view as our motivation, how then should we respond to this incredible salvation? How should people who have responded to Jesus Christ and are Christians now live for God? What should we be motivated by? Paul wants us to be clear, and he is clear in his text this morning. I hope I can be clear as I share this with you. This leads to our first point. What is the proper response to the mercies of God? As you think about and understand the gospel, how does God want you to respond? First of all, he wants us to live our life as worship to God. Live your life as worship to God. Notice what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What are we called to do? We're called to present our bodies as living sacrifices. What does this mean, to present your bodies? Do you remember, I want to ask you a question. This is a, you know, it's a... A reading comprehension, it's a sermon comprehension question. 
where has this word present occurred in Romans up till now already? Anybody remember? Where does this word occur? Romans 6. Remember when Mark was talking about, um, he talks about uh, the work of what the gospel has done in breaking the power of sin in our lives. It's built upon, it's built upon this principle in Romans 6, 6. Know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. We're told in Romans 6 to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is an incredible teaching. It's important we understand this if we're going to be motivated correctly. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we're brought into union with Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit joins us to Christ in his death, and we die to sin's power, and he brings a new power to work in us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're united to him in his resurrection, and now this new power is at work in our lives, and it changes us. We are no longer enslaved to sin. The old self, the old Kenneth, the old you was crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The NASB translate that, rendered powerless. The power of sin has been broken. And this truth must be real in our minds if we're going to live out the commands of this verse that we're, living in now, that we're talking about right now. It's so that we might walk, as Paul says in Romans 6, in the newness of life. We're to walk differently. In light of these amazing truths in chapter 6, Paul, this is, chapter 6 is the one place in 1 through 11 where we do get commands. Most of, them, most of the 1 through 11 is just statements about what God has done. But we have these three commands in Romans 6. In Romans 6, 13, I'm going to put it on the screen there. It says, do not present your members in light of what God has done to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Note that word but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And then that's verse 13. Now Romans 6, 19 says this, for just as you once, this is what we used to do, we used to present our members to, to, as slaves to impurity, sin, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. We were enslaved and worshiping false gods. Now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. It's these facts in chapter 6 about our relationship to sin that empowers and is the basis of Paul's appeal to us in Romans 12. So it's not simply an emotional appeal. It's not, this is not what Paul is saying. In light of what God has done, now you do this for God. That would be just like, uh, you know, moralism. He's done this, now we do that. Unless we had been set free from the power of sin, this would be unthinkable. We couldn't do it. But in light of the fact that we have been set free from sin, we can now no long, we can now offer our bodies as sacrifices, living sacrifices. We offer our bodies. Now, what does it mean, offer our bodies? That's kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? Why should we offer our bodies? Paul's speaking here of our physical body. Now, this may not come as news to you, but if you're here this morning, you've brought your body along with you. You're in a body, right? And when people interact with you, they interact with you through that body. Your words come out, 
They shake your hands. Their eyes look at you. They hear your voice. Your body is here, and everything you do is an expression of your body. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Earlier, Mark talked about we're created to worship. All of us are worshipers. And what we do with our body and our minds, that includes our minds and our wills, expresses is an expression of our worship. So um, think of it this way. You know, I'm, I'm at home right now or I'm, 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 I'm on my phone right now. If I turn on Instagram right now, I will then, I'm not going to do that because it will distract me. But I can do that as an act of worship. I can offer my body, my eyes, to the living God. I can give thanks to him for, I can see my grandson. He's the cutest guy in the world. He's really cute. Being a grandparent's a good gig, isn't it? It really is. But I also can take this, click on it, and use this same exact instrument. My, I can use my eyes to cultivate worship, to, to, to worship my lust. I can look at bad things. I can sin. I can offer my body to unrighteousness, right? With the same instrument. That's what he's kind of getting after. It's, it's like, it's, you can think of it relationally. If you are in conflict, you're having a conflict with a member of this church, you're, you just, whatever it is, you know, all of us do it at some time, point or another. We have a conflict, maybe your spouse. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice is like, you either go to that person and you offer words of peace, you seek reconciliation, you try to resolve that conflict, you're offering your body as a living sacrifice, or you can go with harsh words. How could you possibly speak like that to me? How do you treat me? Words of bitterness, words to harm the other person, where you just you berate them and belittle them. That's offering your body as a living sacrifice. So, you know, another, another illustration is maybe, maybe I'm struggling with depression or discouragement. And instead of turning to God and worshiping God, I, I drink an extra bottle of wine. Or I eat that gallon of ice cream that's in the refrigerator. I'm trying to find solace and comfort in created things instead of my God who created me and to make me worship him with my body. So when Paul is saying present your bodies as a living sacrifice or an offering to God, he's using the language of sacrifice. It's the language of worship. Look what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, everything you do, as an act of worship to God, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice those words, holy and acceptable. Here's an interesting question. How do sinners like you and I offer holy sacrifices? How are our lives viewed as holy before God? Well, you know, before Jesus Christ came, we were required to offer sacrifices, dead sacrifices. I mean, the word sacrifice is really, it, it, it equates with death. You give dead animals and you offer them to God. But those sacrifices, the blood wasn't sufficient. The priest that was offering the sacrifices was unclean. So it never cleansed us from sin. But a sacrifice has been made. Look what it says. Paul writes to the Colossians. He says, and you 
who were once alienated and hostile to God, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. What does it say? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. His sacrifice, this is what Paul's talking about in Romans 4 and 5 and 3. We are righteous before God, holy and blameless because of what Jesus Christ has done. Isn't that amazing? We no longer have to offer sacrifices because a perfect sacrifice has been made. And it makes us holy and blameless in God's sight. So now we offer spiritual sacrifices, not by what we kill, but by how we live and what we live for and who we live for. This word translated spiritual worship, it's, it's the word from which we get the word logic from. It's, that's why some translations translate it as the re, your reasonable worship. It means literally it's, it makes sense. It makes absolute sense. If you've been changed like this, if you've been transformed and you've been made right before God, this is what's reasonable. Live your life for him in the power that he's given you. And it also has a sense about it that it's, it's not just your bodies, but it's your mind. It's your affections. It's the whole person. That's your spiritual worship. It's everything about you. You give it all to God as a living sacrifice. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, we no longer have to kill animals. We get to live for him in everything we do when we go to school, when we go to work, why we work, what we get up for. When we get up in the morning, we can say, Lord, today, today, this day, I want my body, I want my life to be a living sacrifice for you. It doesn't mean we get really weird so we're in the chemistry class, we just start singing. You might want to sing in chemistry class, I don't know. But it means you're going to that chemistry class because you love God and you want to be used by him. You're going to college because you want to use your life in serving God and his purposes. That's true worship. You want to you get married, you want to treat your spouse differently because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and changing you, the way you interact with others, the way you plan your life, what you give your retirement to, what you give your finances to, how you live. This is your whole spiritual worship. But a reasonable question that emerges from if this is what, that's kind of a big concept. You know, it's kind of my whole life is spiritual worship if I offer my body as a living sacrifice. But how do we do that? And Paul does not want us to be ignorant. He tells us how we to do it. So this leads us to a positive and a negative. He tells you we should not do one thing and we should do another thing. The first thing is we resist being conformed. Don't be conformed to this world. And the second thing is we cultivate transformation by the renewal of our minds. So we'll do resist being conformed first. Look what it says. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. First, a negative command of how we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Paul is saying, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world. What does he mean by that? This world, in the, in the perspective of the New Testament, the world is divided into two ages. The present age, the, sometimes called the present evil age. 
and the age to come. Those are the two ages. When it talks about this world, it's talking about this age. The world of this age is the, where the world is affected by sin. It's the age that comes out of Adam's sin. The world is broken. There's corruption. There's pain and suffering and even death still. But in Jesus Christ coming to the earth, as we've learned in Romans 1 through 11, the kingdom of God has broken into this present age. The king has come, and now you start to see new life coming. Resurrection power comes not only in his healings and in his miracles, but in his people as they trust in his gospel and are born again and are changed in their lives. The present the future kingdom is broken into our lives. So that's what we experience. We experience the already, but the not yet. So Jesus saves us from this present evil age and transfers us from the, the dominion of this world into his kingdom of light. And so if you are in Christ this morning, you are a new creation. That's who you are. You are a new creation. There's power in your life that you didn't have before to live differently. In order to be conformed, though, to this world, all we have to do is do nothing. Being conformed doesn't take a lot of work. You know, if you put a boat on a river and you don't row, what happens? It goes with the stream, right? It just goes right down the stream. That's kind of like us. If we don't do anything, we just drift. And the world kind of presses us into its mold, if you will. J.B. Phillips rightly translates this verse in a very picturesque way. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your mind from within. You think, if you think about, you know, making bread, you know, why do we have so many different kinds of bread? Well, you knead it, you shape it, and then you put it in a pan. And then what happens when you take that bread out of the pan? What does it look like? Looks like the pan it was in, right? <laughs> so you get banana bread or ciabatta bread or whatever that is up there and honey rolls and nice, I'm trying to make you hungry now. Stop, don't be thinking about lunch right now. <laughs> but it gets squeezed in and that's kind of like us. If we do nothing, we get shaped into the world. We get our thoughts, our motives, our emotions. And you know, even though the power of sin is broken, its presence still remains. Do we all not agree that there's still temptations in our souls? I mean, real ones, real difficult temptations in our souls. And, you know, uh, they exist there. And we also, the world tells us, if this is what the world tells us, if we just give in to those temptations, you know, if you just get some more money, you'll be happy. If you experience sex with as many different people or in as many different ways, then you'll really understand it. So then you can make your decision of whether you want to obey God. And, and then the devil comes and just lies to you over and over. We're filled in a world with sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's tempting in this context for Christians to want to fit into the world because if we resist these things, if we actually stand up and defend the defenseless, if we fight against injustice, if we share the gospel with people, we can start to experience pressure, difficulty, challenges. Resisting the world creates challenges for us, doesn't it? We're called not to be conformed to this world. It reminds me of a, a, a police officer who was in training in New York City, and he took the test to be a police officer. The first three questions were easy, but the fourth one, it went like this. It said, you're on patrol in Brooklyn. When an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street, on investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the sidewalk 
and there's an overturned van laying nearby. Inside the van is a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the, wife, the woman as the wife of your divisional supervisor who is presently away in Texas. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance and you realize that he's a wanted criminal for armed robbery. Suddenly a man runs out of a nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and the shock of the explosion has put her into labor. Another man is crying for help. He's been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion and he can't swim. So the question is, describe in a few words what action you would take. So the officer thought for a moment and uh, he picked up his pen and wrote, I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. <laughs> Isn't that the temptation we all face? We just want to mingle with the crowd. We want to be liked. We don't want to cause problems. It's the easy way. We can sympathize with that answer, but if we're not careful, we start to think like the world, and our, shaping, our, think, our thinking is shaped by the world. Because if you don't actively pursue your spiritual life, you will drift, and you will not drift into godliness. We don't drift into godliness. And we have so many distractions. You know, this stuff was hard. I, I, next month, I'll be a Christian for 40 years, by God's grace. I give glory to God. And this, was, this, this renewing of my mind, this getting up and reading the Word, this being in the Word as a Christian was hard 40 years ago, but not nearly as distracting as it is now. I mean, when I get up in the morning, the whole world is right here. I got Instagram saying, look at your grandson. I got Facebook saying, interact with your friends from high school. I got, you know, I got the newspaper saying, you better be up to date on what's going on in the world right now. I got to find out whether my Rangers beat the Caps just kidding. You know, it's just screaming at you, right? Isn't, it, isn't this on your bedside, right? And the first thing you want to do is you pick up your phone, right? It's like it's so easy to be distracted. It takes work. So this is why we have to, this is the final point, or not the final point, it's point three. Cultivate transformation by the renewal of your mind. Cultivate transformation. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, I know we have some Greek, uh, some grammar nerds here. And um, if you look at this phrasing of this sentence, you notice it says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That be transformed is a command. And yet, it's in the passive voice. It's something that happens to us. We take action by renewing our minds, but the transformation happens upon us. We're not the one who does the transformation. Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We're told what we must do in order for this transformation to take place. We must renew our minds with the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word. If we want to be transformed, we must renew our minds with the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word. This means we're transformed by the Holy Spirit as we understand, as we believe, as we internalize as we pray into our souls the truth of the gospel. This is a process, and it's a process that's lifelong. It says, if, if, you, if you translate it properly, it's go on being transformed. It's a lifelong process. Sinclair Ferguson describes it like this. We are to allow this process to take place in our lives 
by yielding to what God does through an instrument in his hands. In this case, the means which life transformation takes place is the renewal of your mind. The instrument which God uses is the word of the gospel. The truth of the gospel informs and illumines our thinking. It thus begins to permeate our mindset influence our dis- and influence our dispositions. This in turn recalibrates our affections to love what we have now come to understand and to bow our wills in a new desire for conformity with God's will. You see, you see the process? Do you understand it? It's really important. This is how the gospel works. This is why Paul writes letters. This is why we have our Bibles, so that we can read it and understand it and be changed by it so that we become better worshipers. We're offering our lives to God and becoming more and more like him as we live our lives. This, this is what Jesus was talking about when, when he said, Father, make them holy through the truth. Your word is truth. This word transformation, it, it's the word from which we get the, word, the, the English word metamorphosis. It's not just like a superficial kind of change. It's not like you just, you're just changing a little bit. You're changing completely from the inside out. Don't you want to be changed from the inside out? Don't you want to be different? Don't you want to be more like Jesus? Don't you want to love like him? Don't you want to be kind? And don't you want to be transformed by the Spirit of God? You can be. You are being. We need to exercise our wills to renew our minds at the truth. We need to make an effort, brothers and sisters. You know, have you ever seen, have you ever seen a coastal redwood tree? The seed of a coastal redwood tree looks like this. Those little pieces on there are seeds, and only some of them are actually active. But they're tiny. They're little things, like this big. Little seeds. You know, when you put them in the ground and they start to grow, they become the largest living tree on the earth. They can grow up to 400 feet. Isn't that crazy? They can be 30 feet in diameter. A number of years ago on, on one of our trips, my wife and I actually showed the next picture. We stood by one. You could just see the, you're just seeing part of that tree there. You see how big it is? You can see the transformation in me, how much older I've gotten. <laughs> the outer man is perishing. <laughs> but the inner man is being renewed day by day, brothers and sisters. Amen? That's what God's doing in us. He's taking us from these little seeds and he's building the kingdom in us, making us into redwoods of righteousness. You know, the, the famous one is the, 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 the caterpillar that turns into the beautiful butterfly, butterfly. But God, this is what God wants to do in us. He wants to transform us. And he does it through his word and his spirit working together in our lives. It's the truth of God. He brings guilty, sin-enslaved sinners to him. He saves them. He brings them into relationship to, with one another through the gospel changed people, and through the work and the ministry of the word and the spirit, he changes them as they renew their minds in his word, as they talk about his word, as they study his word together, as they study his word on their own. God is changing us. He's changing us individually, and he's changing us as a people to look more like him. That's the whole purpose of the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? It's so amazing. He gives us his word. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his sacraments, and he uses them to change us. He makes us and joins us together. That's why church is so important. That's why the local church is so important because it's a place where we together grow 
And every Sunday morning, like you're doing right now, you come in and, and being a part of a church, and maybe you're a guest here, the most important thing you do is be a part of a church that preaches the word just faithfully, week in and week out. And I would be remiss if I didn't just say, you know, we're different because of Mark's faithful preaching through the years. I just want to thank him because you know what? He believes in the power of the word and he just preaches it faithfully week in and week out. That's one of the hardest things for a pastor to do, to be doing it over and over again. And not only that, he, he believes in the power of the word. And so it's been changing us and working in us. And notice, he took Romans 9 through 11 and he gave me Romans 12. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> but I really, having the word preached is so important. Sunday morning, being together as Christians where we hear the word preached. But also we've got to study it on our own. We've got to be in the word. We talked about this in January. We encourage you to be reading the word on a daily basis. There's nothing. This is what Donald Whitney in his book, The Christian Disciplines, for the Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says is the most important spiritual discipline, Bible intake. We've got to be reading the word. Do you have a commitment to read the word regularly? I want to ask you that. If you want to be a disciple, you've got to be in the word. And there's a great website, there's a great book called For the Love of God. It's, it's just one plan of many. We have, there are many plans you can get online if you want to, but find a plan, make a commitment. And the, if you go to this website, and we'll send it out in the follow-up email today, if you click on that, they will give you the day's readings, four texts of scripture, and a little commentary on one of the readings. I use it, but I only read two of the chapters, because I don't want to read four chapters a day. You want to read one? That's fine too. But just get in the Word daily. Let the Word Renew your mind daily. We've got to make it an effort. And let me just say this. If you're here this morning and your emotions are rarely stirred by affection for the gospel, if you're drifting in and out of obedience, I want to ask you, are you regularly renewing your mind in the Word? It's really the most important question you can ask yourself. It's difficult to be shaped by the world if we're regularly reading the word and seeking to obey it in community with other believers and talking about it with others. It's difficult. It's not impossible. So that's the way we allow the, the, we renew our minds. The third way is we allow the word to shape our minds in community. So God brings us into a family, and one of the ways that we renew our minds is by speaking the truth in love to one another so we grow up into truth. How do we do that? In community. We do that in our community groups. We do that in our Bible studies. We do that in our one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationships. I want to encourage you. Are you participating in those things with other believers? I want to encourage you. I know we're busy. It's so busy. It's so easy to be busy and miss out on the word. So let's renew our minds. Let's pray over the truth we receive and offer our bodies as living sacrifices so that one year from now will be different, five years from now will be different, Ten years from now will be very different. Let's continue to pursue that. Now, the final point, what is the result of all this transformation? The result is that we approve and do God's will. This is a bit of a difficult translation. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The New American Standard says that you may be able to prove the will of God, the NIV says, test and approve. When you go to a prayer meeting and you say to your friend, how can I pray for you? What's the most common thing that people ask for? Wisdom, right? They want to make a decision. They want to know what's the will of God for my life. 
Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I? You want to know what is the will of God? Well, who has the wisdom that we need? Paul in chapter 11, just right before this, the text that Mark preached on last week, he said, oh, the depth, the riches, and the wisdom, and the knowledge of God. There's only one person who never has a question, who's never flustered. He's never made uneasy by what's going on in the world around him. He maintains his calm. And what this text is telling us is if you regularly renew your mind, you're going to be able to recognize the will of God. You're going to become familiar with God's ways. So if you want wisdom and you want to know the will of God, renew your mind. Read his word. Talk to him. Resist the world and live for him. Put it into a question, how can you know the will of God if you're not renewing your mind? If you're not being shaped by God and his word, you're, not going to be, you're going to be shaped and influenced by the world. The natural person who's not of the spirit does not uh, he, he does not accept the things of the Spirit, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. The wisdom of God is not the wisdom of this age. It's the wisdom of the cross. So if you don't renew your mind in God's word, you'll find it difficult to discern God's will. So as we renew our minds, we learn God's will, and his providence unfolds. As we learned in Romans 8, his providence unfolds before us, and we get to approve it and be glad and to be happy. Even if was, as creation groans and we groan, awaiting that final redemption, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So he's conforming us into the image of his son. As he does this, let's go back to the beginning. Let's consider God's mercy. Let's worship him by offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Let's resist the pull of the word. And let's continue to be transformed as we renew our minds together. I'm looking forward to seeing God's will for us as we do this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. We love you. We thank you for how you have saved us. And we just invite you, Lord God, to, to do this work, to, to continue to transform us, Lord God. We pray you'd give us grace to look again at the gospel, to see all that you've done, and to respond rightly by offering our bodies as living sacrifices, Lord. We just ask you, help us, Lord. Help us to do that on a daily basis, on a regular basis. Help us to be transformed. Help us to renew our minds daily. Help us to encourage one another, to speak the truth to one another. Lord, help us to be a community that exalts, displays, and declares the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be more, more than anything else. Help us to make growing disciples and to go into the world with good news, Lord God, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we commit these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen.